Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword sources. Because today is not a gloss, today we're looking at the Other Masters section in MS 3227A. Joining us this week are Stephen Cheney and TQ. I'm your host, Mike Smorridge. How are you all doing? What have you been up to, Steve? Let's see. Um, we wrapped up, my club wrapped up our uh, of the year, I guess, with our final practices of the year. We do, and well, I guess I want to say annual, but we didn't do it last year. Um, we do an annual end of the year um, goofball practice, I guess, where we, um, anybody can like bring whatever weapon they want. And like for the first half or so of the class, everybody just does whatever they want. And then the second half, we all do like uh, group melee stuff. So that was pretty fun. And then on Sunday, we did a, um, a mini in-house tournament uh, down in Philly that uh, Connor hosted. Uh, Connor Kemp Cowell. Um, Under the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we, we've been doing like uh, monthly little intramural in-house uh, tournaments in the Philly area like for the past few months now. Because people want to do tournaments and... There's COVID, so we just do small outdoor ones. So yeah, cool. that's what I've been up to. Was that the that in-house tournament, the video you posted the other day? You were using control points, weren't you? Yeah, this one did have control points. Um, do you I think did... it changed anything, or did it just make ab sets and land sets more powerful? Um, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I... Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it might have. I mean, people did some cool stuff. Cool. People did cool stuff in fencing. And that's what we want to hear. But did they do statistically more cool stuff than when you didn't have control points? That's the question. Did you use him oh. scorecard? Will Sean weaponize it and use it against yeah. you? Well, I see something cool, we want to reward it, you know. All right, I'll stop trolling you then. See, <laughs> what have you been up to? Eating supper, mostly. Um, <laughs> more seriously, we wrapped up my uh, my modern fencing and HEMA clubs uh, for the year as well. Uh, without a goofball party, the uh, Waterloo Sparring's traditional Eat Giant Burgers party. Uh, so that was good. Um, Are there still giant burgers? There are still giant burgers at Lord Nelson. Um, Good. They're even Glad bigger than they used to be, if anything. Never change. Amazing. And they still really love us, so it's a good time. Um, what else have I been up to? I'm taking the palms off my sparring gloves, um, so it's gear maintenance winter. I'm replacing them with leather. And, uh, and prepping a trip to America, which might manage to happen. Unfortunately, the French one, which was supposed to be a few weeks, went the way of the coronavirus. And that was it the went the way of 2020 oh. and yeah. 2021. But maybe that'll happen in 2020, looking at rescheduling. So Ooh. there might be some trips. Very nice. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to try and repair my gear and actually like get some sleeps before I go back into stabbing people. My first foil competition is the 8th of January. Yeah, groups are legal by then. So it might be uh, quite an abrupt restarting after Christmas. Mm, very nice. And was it? have we had an episode with you on since you had a foil competition? I think so. I've done two this year. I meddled in Nullis in one of them, and then I came 58th out of 61 in the second. So a nice mix of results. 
<laughs> yeah. How did you find the the organization of the foil competition compared to um, HEMA ones? Honestly, I wish they had HEMA scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Seriously. we must be doing some things all right. Um, the the universal, universality of format is good. Um, mm -hmm. Like everybody just knows what they're dealing with. Um, in the UK, you can be a bit mixed about refing, like being well refed versus being self refed. Um, but I didn't have any particular issues in either of the ones I've done. Um, uh, scoring machines are amazing, um, but HEMA scorecard, or more generally just web based access for ballot information, strip assignments, et cetera, et cetera, is way overpowered. And it would be lovely if if that was more common in that world as well. Mm. There are services which do it, but not all of them. And it's pretty mixed whether you're getting your information like that or getting it from the organizers, printing out a bit of paper and sticking it to a wall. Oh. So um, that is my feedback. Also, members of the national team are really good. That's my other piece of feedback. Um, very nice. What have I been up to? I've been fencing once a week in the park with Kay. Uh, another guy at Auckland Sword and Shield, the ass. And the last couple of weekends, I've been using a nice short 90 centimeter blade Regenier with a small handle. And boy, did that suck the first week. It's like learning how to fence all over again, just in terms of the distance and things. But I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's doing, um, doing well, a whole bunch of stuff. At like by like two inches the first like yeah. month you use it yeah very much so and it's punishing my lazy footwork but no it's good and the k is really coming on it's great to see one thing that i have been thinking about is that we're in the the middle of kiwi summer here so we've been wearing stubby shorts rather than fencing britches in the park and I've, I've been wondering a lot about whether removing the legs as a target how that changes the the game of fencing and i always want to say that removing the legs as a target makes it more like you we see in the sources but that's just a, a pet theory of mine maybe i'm seeing what i want to see i definitely Although think it... a, there's a piece in the thing that we're talking about today that attacks the leg is there yeah I just oh yeah there, there is this this is this is the the one like obvious attack the leg isn't it yeah so it definitely does change the i find fencing like i probably prefer fencing waist up most of the time but you definitely can develop some slightly weird distance habits if you exclusively do it um it's one of those things where i try to like mix it up um, mm. otherwise you get everybody like just the the fencing distance gets a tiny bit shorter um because you don't have to worry about like especially one-handed knee snipes yeah um, yeah the gaze ends out yeah. All right. So, shall we move on to the other masters now? So, first of all, this this section of the book comes after the main unarmored longsword content, doesn't it? Need to therefore check that quickly. Talking absolute nonsense. You're in luck. It is after. Hooray! And it doesn't. Unlike the rest of the content, it appears elsewhere. It's not only. In 3227A, it also appears in the Glasgow Ringek, um, which is dated to 1508. It's the illustrated Ringek with the really, really bad drawings. Which is a cool kind of piece of overlap, especially because the Glasgow one is missing a tiny bit. So either 
it was deliberately removed or it was deliberately added to this and they come from separate original sources uh, or something like that. There's clearly something a little bit weird going on in the transmission there. Um, so it's called the other master section because the the intro to it is um, here. Here's how to fence according to a bunch of other masters. Um, this is where we see Hanko Farpen Dobringer's name, Hanko the Priest Dobringer, together with Andre Juden, Jos van Denissen, and Nicholas Prowson, etc. And we don't have any solid biographical detail on these other people, do we? No. It's, it's not enough, really, to go on. I think James Acutt, again, has done some digging into priests who might be from places called Dobringen, who might be called Hanko, but it's difficult to say for sure. Wasn't there, like, a wild theory that... Um... Andre Uden was like Andre Liebnitzer or something. Why not? They're, they're both called Andres. They're both called one. Andre, which is like a super rare name that nobody ever had. So they're probably the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one in Germany, and then later he named his he changed his name to Barnfeind. Yeah, it's the same with like Hanko and Hans. That's that's also a name only one guy had. Hey, uh, please stop trolling our informative podcast. <laughs> okay, so um, obviously, as it? as Mike accurately po points out, these are incredibly common names. Um, at least Hanko and Andre are. So and uh, Nicholas and Nicholas uh, Joss is, I think, a little bit rarer, but it's still fairly common. Um, so you've even if you can find like a dude, pinning down that it's the same dude is a real challenge. Um, Isn't there mm -hmm. another Jobst on um, the Jobst on Virginia, right? List? Elvis von Wurttemberg or something? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a guy. So, so more maybe theory. that's the same one. <laughs> well, one's von der Niesen, one's von Wurttemberg. So. And is there a Niesen in Wurttemberg? I don't know. Is that like... I'm not going to embarrass myself about with my geography knowledge. Never mind. I don't. This is a sort well, of Niesen, digging because like nobody's a... really done anything up, dug anything good up, as far as I know. It's yeah. hard to be. Hard to be specific. Nice is like a French city, right? Yes, it's quite nice. I see what you did there. Why, thank you. It's, I'm sorry, listeners. I'm so sorry. I couldn't help myself. Um, let's move on, rather than just trying these people. So the, uh, the first section of the other masters is a poem, because we haven't had enough of those. And it's what do you say, general advice? Uh, some of it's numbered, so there's three different bits of advice. Um, the introduction is very much like the, the start of the Zettel. Like, um, if you're a bold person who dares to learn the art of the sword, then don't be a dick. Although it's worth mentioning that this does then say that you should practice fencing seriously because it's a gentleman's game and is enjoyable and fun yes. uh, to and do in front of people. Uh, which is obviously deadly uh, sword fighting of death. Also, yeah. I would like to say that this um, this poem is not nearly as obfuscated as the title. It's very much like you can tell what it's talking about, I guess. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Don't fight four or six people. Yeah. First piece of advice is um, 
offence without getting angry, do it wittily. Um, then you'll seldom lose. Use the system. The the second piece of advice is don't pick fights you're going to lose. This is the the four or six section. Like yeah, if 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 if, if four or six guys square off against you, like run away. Uh, yeah, it doesn't mean you're a coward. Don't be a hero. Eventually, there'll be a hit that you can't parry. I um I gave a a wild theory to Chidasa the other day that for all that we know. This section is about not jumping into a fesh school when there's still four or six challenges left, because you will get hit eventually. But that was mostly me trying to troll him. I'm saying troll a lot now. It was mostly me being facetious. How about that? In um, live role-playing, we had a a kind of a guideline for people running events and adventures that if you doubled the number of enemies, uh, you needed to, like not just half their strength, but more like quarter it to compensate for the fact that there were literally twice as many of them. Um, adding more opponents is by far the biggest buff you could ever give the enemy team uh, in a fight. Congratulations, you've discovered the military revolution. 1500 to 1600. Pretty much. Um, yeah, even oh, if they're so like, weak that a single touch is an automatic kill for the heroes, a big pile of guys tends to still win. Well, I don't know, because uh, Musashi said that one person can beat 100 people, and if one person can beat 100 people, then 100 can beat 10,000. So, Is it scale right. linearly, though? Or is it like logarithmic? Can 100 people defeat a million people? Uh, you want Lanchester's Laws of Combat for this. Um, there's actually a set of uh, mathematical theories around this. Um, Uh, Broadly speaking, it scales linearly in individual melee combat and quadratically in ranged or area combat. Um, Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) I've got nothing to that. Well done, T. The idea is basically Uh, that, like, if you're shooting all shooting arrows at each other, then everybody on the side of 10,000 can target everybody on the side of 100 at once, so they kill them faster. Whereas if you're, like, fighting in battle lines, then most of the 10,000 people aren't actually doing anything, so it kind of, Mm. the numbers don't quite scale up as much. Um, You can imagine that if you're fighting 10 guys and they have to come at you one at a time, it's only really harder than fighting 10 10 guys, like, than fighting one guy at a time, because you have to do it 10 times over, not because, like, they're stabbing you from behind. Yeah. Individual skill makes a lot more of a difference if they attack you one at a time. Yes. Um, And aggression, um, if we're talking about group combat. Um, A lot of the time, especially in skirmish-type situations, you can create moments where you have a one-to-one fight for like two seconds um, before somebody else realizes and gets involved. And if you're aggressive and can win that one-to-one fight in those two seconds, you can beat a larger group of people kind of piecemeal um, uh, with with stuff like that, which is honestly pretty much the advice that this thing provides for what you should do if you're fighting four or six people. Um, you like run away a bunch and then turn around and hit the guy closest to you and then run away a bunch again. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is so kiting. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it works, so it makes sense. I... Actually, it's funny that um, we're doing this now because I mentioned we had our uh, goofball end of the year practice. Yes. And so I actually have some recent experience doing some one versus multiple training. Um, How did it go? Well, okay. So I 
actually won a three-on-one situation, which I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was actually three-on-one because um, the, the three weren't together. So, like, I hit one person, and then, like, the two came, and I just started running around in a huge circle to try to, like, line them up, just like the book says to do. See? Fencing, fencing by the book here. Um, well done. And I got the one and the two. And then the next round, um, I found myself in a 4v1 situation, which first oh, I thought it was... Huh? Oh, no, oh, it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a 4 or 6v1. Um... First it was a two of you one, um, then one other person showed up, and then another person showed up, and by that time I was in a corner and I lost. So, I think it's it's correct with its numbers here. Anything less than four, you're good to go. But four to six, you should run away. Game over. Yeah. Five, however, no problem. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a fun a fun little piece of advice, um, and actually quite reasonable. Uh, and the other point, actually, which is related to this and is maybe a bit more real deadly, is the idea that the reason you might want to do a fight like this is basically for honor. Um, like, for your, not necessarily that you're going to get lots of honor by beating them, but like defending your reputation by not like running away from the fight or whatever. Um, mm. And that is like absolutely pressure. why people get into stupid fights, um, uh, is social pressure and related bullshit so the idea that don't worry about your honor there isn't any shame in running away from a group of people if there's a whole bunch of them on one of you uh it's genuinely quite good self-defense advice yeah. so if there's if there's three or less then that is a threat to your honor to run away apparently so at least if you're a trained fighter um what's interesting is talking about being a trained fighter is that the third piece of advice is um don't be a knob with your art. Um, don't learn fencing just to bully people. But it also has a a very interesting line I find saying that in all fencing I advise, really do not rely too much upon your art. In uh, Stokely's translation. So in your fencing, don't rely on your, your skill, your craft. Which what what do you guys make of that? I suspect that's basically a don't get a big head because you're a good fencer piece of advice. Is my gut feeling. I don't know. Yeah. Are you big headed in your fencing, Steve? Yeah. I would have to think about it for a bit and study this source a little bit more in depth. Fair enough. All right. So after this poem, another interesting thing to point out about this poem is that um, we see maybe not exactly the same terminology as the Zethel. There's, it's, you know, not using so many of the technical terms, but it is throwing out um, Vor and Nash a lot, which is noticeable because they're missing from most of the rest of this section. So I wonder if it points to having a, a different author to some of the other sections, which if this is a composite of several different people's teaching, then would make sense. Anyway. If you so you mean a different author than the anonymous clause? I mean that in this other master section, maybe there's several uh, several different people giving their input to different techniques or like 
one of them really wanted this poem about not being a dick to be in the Zettel, but uh, everybody else was like, nah, it's, let's edit that out. Whereas... So, so one guy was this guy called Tanker, right? And one guy was this guy called Andre, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just different preferences. Anyway, let's move on. The next section following this, uh, what should we call it, this life advice, this guruing, is regarding the Iron Gate that Eisenforth fought. Oh, we've missed a really interesting section, actually, um, uh, which is that, like, just before that, there's this, like, one paragraph that pretty much says, like, um, okay, so I'm not going to mention, like, most of these masters move because you'll already find them in Lichtenauer's art because it's the real art. But for the sake of practice, I'm going to describe a few of them uh, simply. Um, and then it goes on to this poem. And that's quite a fun little fun little paragraph. Partly because it's a game called, like, full of references to fencing for fun and fencing for practice. Um, and also it's another recurrence of the, like, the idea, the meme, that uh, the Lichtenauer's art of fencing contains everything. Um, and there's like nothing you can find that isn't in it. Um, which is almost true. And kind of cool. Also, it says that they're for school fencing, but once we get there, we can see that there's plenty of stabs to go around. Um, so, first section, uh, Iron Gate, Eisen Fort, which we saw in uh, the the main Lichtenhauer longsword text. We're, we're told that there's only four guards and that you should shun all the others, right? But then this... Iron Door, Iron Gate, sneaks in when describing how to do the crimp pow. Well, in RDL, the only time we really get Iron Gate is um, in the Glasgow Ringick, actually. And he uses in the fencing from the sweeps, right? Yeah, in the fencing from the sweeps. Am I just talking out my house? Is it not mentioned in anywhere else? Shrank up. Ah, you're right. I am talking utter utter bollocks. But Shrankhut is also here in this text. So I feel like, I don't know, my my read on it, which you know, is a, there's no proof or anything, but um, the Glasgow Ringek, the extra sweep section uses the term Iron Gate and the Dresden version does not. And if I were to make a wild guess, I would say that it might be because this text is also in the Glasgow version and it uses the Iron Gate. But anyway. Yeah. I believe that. So so this uh, Iron Gate section is rhyming couplets, which is different to the the rest of the other section. It's way, way longer as well. Um, it reuses some of the, the same terminology, like four or six when it comes to peasants. And... It gives advice for using. What could you say about Iron Gate? That it's a low guard. Um, you put a foot in front of you. You put your like sword down with the point on the ground, a defensive thing, and whatever they do, you abscess in it, and then you do the peacock's tail um, and the crap about that, and all sorts of fun, fun things with cool names. Do so you think this is an intro for what comes afterwards, or? I mean, what do you it, think? It, it pretty much says that it's like you do the iron gate and then you you know do upsets and, and then you do the peacock's tail and you strike from below with parries and with the crowd hacker and like it's it seems to kind of be i would say a 
you could almost think of this as being its own little zettle and like the techniques that follow after it are sort of its gloss but it's clearly not structured as a zettle and gloss and not all the stuff that follows is actually written in um, yeah there's definitely some overlap um so the the next technique to follow on afterwards doesn't appear in it as far as i can find as far as i can see i know of but this is from one point and the poem is about from iron gate yes the the next technique is the nathazung which is the the asp's tongue and describe it you you stand in langort and threaten to thrust at both sides above their hilt so you're disengaging until they can't follow anymore and then you stab them yeah this thing works it works really well yeah yeah it, it, if you manage to get the initiative and they're trying to react to what you're doing for sure so that does not follow on from the iron gate the section afterwards definitely does it gets a shout out in the iron gate and that is the kraut hack which is the the herpo and you you're in iron gates you're in uh, point down at the ground, one foot forward. You strike up, and then you strike down again. It's OP, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, the great thing about these techniques is that all of them actually are basically pretty good. Um, like, there's like, stick your sword out and then sort of wiggle it between openings until they hesitate and then stab them. That works really well. There's slash up and down until you get them. That works really well. There's like, starting a low hanging, upsets them and stab them. That works really well. Um, do little circles with your point until they get confused and then stab them. Uh, that works really well. Um, you know, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of really good moves in here. Uh, the next technique, which it calls the the workmaster, the, the master builder, is comes from the low hanging on the left side. So I imagine that that would be right foot forward, left boog, um, threaten with the point after parrying, especially. Parry and stab. This is ninety nine percent of tournament longsword, isn't it? The stuff that always getting distance, not being fencing by the book. If you wanted to be very picky, you could argue that this should be because this is three two seven a. The low hanging is probably more like we would call an alber than a fluke, but basically the same thing um, from a practical perspective here. Um, and yeah, it's just like upsets them, stab them with your life um compare that to the the peacock's tail the phoban eagle um so it's this year it comes from the point the point moves around the adversary's sword and seen from his eyes it looks like the circle or a wheel and thus it turns until he can see where he may get his adversary so is this a disengage thing rather than pulling back and attacking again this is disengaging underneath so this or is doing circles yeah. instead of like if you if you do a classic kind of disengage thing, you're gonna mm-hmm. um, sort of duck uh, from kind of duck from one side to the other and back in sort of little user v's. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. this circles, so you're going under uh, and then okay. you're coming over and then you're going under and then you're coming over, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I'm demonstrating on camera for all of our listeners who can't see that. Um, uh, yeah. This also um, it's called the wheel there, the riddle. Um, and this genuinely works pretty well. Uh, it's quite a dis- technique called like the roads or the little wheel that people spend a lot of time trying to work out. 
Meyer has a rose, but his involves some sort of bind interaction, which this thing doesn't seem to, um, and certainly the radle doesn't seem to, and that seems to be where all the confusion comes from. If you just stick your sword out and do circles around their sword until they get confused and then stab them, that works pretty easily. Um, uh, it's all a matter of whether you get them confused or whether they decide to just stab you anyway. Uh, the the following technique is great. It's called the the blank blank space. Um, it comes from the Schwessel, changing through. And let's just read this through. So he threatens us to strike from his right and changes through to the left with a good step outwards. And with this, he strikes a Strecken strike from above, which goes directly to the man and hits in front of the vertex or with a Zwerch against the face. Uh, alternatively, you may do the Sturzhau. So basically, this is just a feint, isn't it? Pretty much. Um, is this really a technique? I guess so. I guess so, if you've never seen a feint before, it's a powerful combination. I guess we can talk quickly about the word technique, right? Um, and the word mm. is Stuck. Um, which is a piece, uh, a bit. Which is a piece or a bit or a thing or a combo or a move or a, like a section of a play or a, a piece Actually, of art that somebody makes. Um, so the idea of calling it a technique might be a bit misleading to a lot of the time. It's like, yeah. I saw a nice analogy. In basketball, you have this thing called like a Eurostep, which is a particular like two-step twist pattern that people use to like get throws in, get like mm -hmm. shots in. I'm not good at basketball, so somebody correct me on that. Um, but sort of the, it's not really like any special moves. It's just you take a step and you take a second step in a different direction, um, step, step, and jump. But the combination of it, treating it as an entity, kind of makes it a bit easier to do. Uh, as a single thing. So that's a kind of, I think that's sort of the sense of a lot of the techniques here is that they're not specific special moves. They're just, hey, you know, like if you do this thing, it works real well. Look at this trick. It's another good trick, not another good like move. It's not a technical, a special mm. technical move that you're never going to know otherwise. It's just, hey, here's a good combo, right? Makes sense. Next up, three strikes. Speaking of things that aren't techniques. But might be good moves. Uh, it's an underhow from the right, an underhow from the left, strong against the sword with Absetson, and the third strike directly to his um, to his shaitel, which will hit. What do we make of that? Isn't this one like in Parnfeint also directly? Isn't this I don't like know the, if winger? the same name, but I think the move is yeah. It's basically the winger. Um, you like you you come up from one side, you take it away, you come up from the other side and throw the blade, and you cut back down. Um, the move works. I had never noticed that the, they keep on using uh, Shaitel as a target designator in this. Uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, use it a couple times. Um, next technique: the barrier guard, which I got confused with the iron door. <laughs> Shows, shows how awake I am. Um, this technique is called the shrunk cut, the barrier guard, and comes from the point, so that you put the point down to the ground to whichever side you want, unless you place yourself to the abset. Which is very different to our everyday understanding of abset, isn't it? Although it overlaps quite well with the crump howl, which I think yeah. Steve might have some things to say on. Well, Steve okay, so the, the English here is a little bit weird. It's uh, yeah. so the German says, um, stellest dish, uh, do meta zu absetzen. So, stellest dish is like, um, 
make yourself in a way that you're going to do. Like, act like you're going to do this, you know? So uh, you're planning okay. in such a yeah. way that the other person thinks you're going to do an obsession, or like you're ready to do an obsession. That, that makes way more sense. I think, um, what is the... As if you do an obsession. I think there's in in Lev's Absetzen, um, actually uses uh, Stellis dish, or no, um, the other person Stellists. Um, if he then squares up against you and wants to stab, so he is like, um, so they use it in the Lev uh, Absetzen to say the other person is coming up to you um, in a way that it looks like they're going to stab, basically. So, anyway, yeah, that's that's uh, that's my read on what they mean. So you're standing in when you stand in uh, the barrier guard and the other masters, you're acting like you're going to do an obsession, I guess. Yep. Um. Da -da -da. And also done when someone puts the point down on the ground in front of themselves. Now someone strikes or thrusts, so you grab the point of the opponent's sword while moving upwards with the absetson and strike him low to his feet or above to wherever he may hit him best. And this is similar to the route tack. If someone strikes permanently up and down and hits wherever he likes. So you're going low to parry riposte. Is this grab the point, Steve-O German uh, opinion, is this grab the point as in take their blade or is it physically grab their sword with your hand? Well, the German word here is fasa which I think is used a lot as, as like actual gripping, as in gri gripping someone yeah. with your hand. But my okay, read so on this... Parry, take their blade, and then hit them. Awesome. Well, yeah, um, it, that could be it. But my read on this is more that it's a, uh, a taking of the blade. That's what it seems like to me anyway. Um, you, but you it could, could be another one. Having said you that... You could like, say, like, the move of like blade. Come forward, come forward, like... Do the upsets and to like parry their blade, grab their point, and then you just hit them wherever their like hilt isn't. Is a pretty good. That's a pretty effective move. Yeah. Uh, fencing wise. I think, yeah. I, I don't think the text would support it when it could just as easily be like uh, when someone strikes or thrusts at you. So catch the point of the opponent's sword or moving upwards with your parry. Well, Fassa, The point would be that. Fasa doesn't seem to be used so much for catch as in engage the blade, but instead for catch as in hold with the hand. I think actually now that I think of it, um, when it says, I think in Danzig and maybe Ringek, but not Lev, it says for the Tsverhau, um, doing the counterattack, when you catch, you, uh, you know, catch their sword in your hilt and hit them on the side of the head, I think that that uses Fasa, but I'm not 100% sure and I'm going to go check right now. Lev immediate look is that it's only used um, in the wrestling. Welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast mm -hmm. where you listen to people read Wiktionary. Uh, sometimes out loud, sometimes in silence. Now it's all good to see you. We'll just edit okay. this out. We're... Fix it in post. No, no I won't. No, I won't. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to click send as soon as we finish. So um, the reason no no okay I was wrong it's uh uh so it's like fucking that's right yeah so yeah, the reason okay. I quite like 
I do quite like the idea of physically grabbing the point of the sword is the targeting for your next action, which is you hit them in the feet or above or wherever you can hit them best. And that feels more like an action which you take after you've grabbed their sword. Um, if you just grab someone's sword, they're probably frantically trying to like parry with their hilt while you've got their point pinned. And you're just going to hit them wherever it's available. And the feet are generally going to be available. It's really fucking hard to parry by, down by your feet if somebody's holding the point of your sword. Um, uh, fun trick. Uh, if you ever want to try it, uh, do, do it on video. It's a good laugh. Um, so, and similarly, the idea, more, but and, and related to that, just the idea that you're going to like grab their sword with your hand and then pick the best target and just lamp them on it um, is quite a nice not necessarily a nice action, but quite a simple action. Whereas if you assume this is a blade engagement where you're like binding the blade and holding the blade with your blade, then for your riposte, you're either, to riposte the foot, you're either one, abandoning their blade entirely while basically jumping into them in the foot, which is kind of dicey, um, or your riposte needs to be constrained by where their blade is in some sense uh, so that you can maintain your engagement, or you're just going to let them hit you in the face potentially. Um, but if you grab their point, all, all those problems go away. Well, what I imagine, if it is catch as in taking the blade, um, I imagine it to be like the crump to the foot that we were talking about last year. Yeah, just, I guess you could do that. Yeah, you just kind of come over top of them. And usually we do it as a stab, but you could do it as a cut as well. If you take foot, like foos to mean like the leg, you know. Yeah. Well, the word is schlag, so it's not super yeah. specific. Well, schlag, I would not really think... I, I wouldn't really consider schlag to be a stab. That's fair. I always consider that to be a strike of some kind. Not and necessarily yeah, I guess you could do, the sword, but... You could do the crimp to the foot or something, but that's a pretty involved action. And treating that as, like, the first thing you do after the abscess, and I feel seems a little bit dicey. Whereas if I've just grabbed your sword, hitting you in the foot is actually a good first action. Because um, good luck grabbing my hill or parrying it. Yeah. All right. Last up, we have a, a little concluding section, which I love because it talks about um, the the context. And by which it, I mean it talks about um, doing something for school fencing or just for fun. Um, so shake your sword bravely sideways into shrank hut to both sides and transition from guard to guard in wide motions, one side upwards to the other with steps. After that you set yourself in the lower hanger on both sides with steps and then the upper hanger with steps blah 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 and then do some warehouse and um, whenever you do one of these things you take a step and execute to your left so place the right foot in front and vice versa and do this when you are coming to him and then do something appropriate to what's good for the sport. And so on. Something I like about this action is to compare it to the Prague factual rules from 1579 that Andre Vodica translated. Sorry for your name, um, which talk about you're not being a, you're not allowed to just like rush in on someone like you know like at the start of it at the start of a bout you shouldn't just like leap at them you should like come towards them artfully and with measure and control and it feels like like starting your bout by doing a complicated flourish out of your corner um, into distance um, so that you're both kind of coming in in a smooth, controlled way might be the kind of thing that's implying, uh, which is a cool a cool parallel. I buy it. Steve, do you have anything to say about this? No. 
I think we that some people spend a... this is a warm up in my club every day, every time we had a session. Yeah, some people spend a lot of time trying to turn this into a kata rather than yeah. being showboating. We would do this as a kata as like our warm up, do like ten rounds through. Mm. Was it useful? Did it make good fences? <laughs> no. <laughs> we were fencing with like Rollings, uh, nylon sticks, and uh, this was before even red dragon gloves were on the market. So everything we were doing sucked. Very nice. All right. Um, and this next paragraph is only in three two two seven eight. It's not in the Glasgow Wingic. It's the last paragraph, and it says um, it's better to aim for the upper openings rather than the lower openings. Uh, coming over his hilt as is already written down. Um, and first of all, uh, before all such things, um, get the Vorschlag, and as soon as you do it, do the Natschlag, and do them without delay. Um, just as you would do both at the same time if it was possible to do two things at once. That's not quite what it says. And That's pretty much what it says. <laughs> be quickly and be be brave, so that if one misses, then the other one hits, and your adversary doesn't come to come to blows. It's not bad advice, generally speaking. Yeah, I have of the anonymous okay. text. The anonymous what? Sorry, the anonymous text in three two two seven eight. It's almost like it was written by the same person. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of the it's fascinating things about this. It like it doesn't appear in the other copy of this larger text. It seems to be potentially an addition by the specific scribe or composer of 3227A's fencing advice. And it matches yep. up perfectly with everything that he says in the other text, so I don't know. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to to guess that he wrote this. Yeah. Especially coming after a section about hitting them in the legs. Yeah, it, it does feel a bit like he was like, okay, so like, I wrote down this other thing you asked me to copy, but I'd just like to add this like extra bit, because this is how you should really fence, dude. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I find kind of cool about this, actually, on rereading it, because um, I did so much prep for this episode, um, was it yeah. reminded me of a discussion that recently happened on the fencing subreddit, where about a, a piece of advice to like, do a parry and a half step back and a riposte all in the same tempo. Um, which is technically impossible. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's under, not like, what tempo normal, means. Under sort of normal-ish definitions of tempo. Um, and there was a, a fairly big bit of like back and forth about it, but somebody, mm. um, and in fact a couple of people like pointed out that it might just be that, you know, this is somebody's paraphrase of somebody else's instructions in a discussion context where it was clear that they didn't have much language in common and, you know, the coach was Russian mm. and the, the student was American and whatever. But also like, the idea that you might tell somebody to do something which isn't necessarily really possible, just because in trying to do it, they're going to get closer to what you're wanting them to do. You know, you should do these three things at one tempo, even if you can't, because by trying to do them as seamlessly as possible, you won't just do one, two, three. And similarly here with like your Vorschlag and Nachschlag, you want to try to do them at the same time. And obviously you can't, your sword's only going to be on one side of them or the other. But if you try to do them at the same time, it's better than doing Vorschlag, pause, Nachschlag. Um, and it's quite cool to see that sort of like mm. pattern of telling people to try to do impossible things as a like a coaching cue towards the form you would like their movement pattern to take uh, seems to persist uh, through the ages. Interesting. I know we still see plenty of formulations in the poem being like 
and with no delay go and do this other thing yeah you know no delay and stuff is the other thing you're you know like it's not that it's the only way to say do it fast but it's a it's a fun particular like it's something i thought of because it had come up in a previous discussion context recently that the idea of specifically yeah. telling people to do things that are kind of impossible can be a helpful a helpful cue sometimes uh, depending on the attitude of your student some people it really doesn't work with hmm. yep and this is the other masters section what do you guys think of it it's better than the main gloss okay i guess and how how many of these would you make a lesson around make a lesson out of I haven't specifically made a lesson out of these, but I do have a workshop I do occasionally, which is based on the fencing from the sweeps that I could totally pretend was this lesson if I kind of renamed the plays. Um, uh, although it could sort of miss the point of the original workshop. Uh, that workshop is built around the idea that the fencing from the sweeps can be used to kind of understand the Lichtenari process. Something I find interesting about this in comparison is that this feels a lot less Lichtenauer-ish um, than the fencing from the sweeps, uh, by which I mean, those have very similar plays. A lot of the actions are pretty much the same. Um, but the framing has been structured around the idea of before and after. Um, either you attack first or you attack second. And then strong or weak in the bind um, is pretty much how that material is put together. Whereas this material is just like, here's a cool move. Here's a cool move. Here's a cool move. Here's a cool move. Um, yeah, and so it, it feels like of... unsystematized. Yeah, and it doesn't like have any qualms about that. It's like, this is not a system. This is just a bunch of moves that are cool for school fencing. Go to at least an hour if you want a system. Yeah, it's like, you know, you, you know the system and here's some good tricks. Have a nice day, bye. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't try to like pretend it's something it's not, I guess. Not like Fiori. Right, or 3227. Yeah. <laughs> it's authentic. It's just fencing in the moment. And honestly, it's actually a pretty good way to teach people defense, to be honest. Um, uh, like, if you teach people a basic-ish analytical framework and some kind of some good common sort of fundamental things, like simple parries and attacks and uh, continuations and counterattacks, and then you teach them a few good combo moves that they can just do kind of eyes closed when they have the right moment, uh, you produce pretty good fencers. Yeah. I've got one question about this one. Why is there no... Most of these players are from download guards, aren't they? Why is there no helicopter cut? Why is there no warehouse spam? They've got faint and twerhal. What else do you need? There. The Ouroboros special is like cannon. It's right here. It's just they yeah. assume you're going to hit the first time. <laughs> the uh, helicopter is already in Shinar, so they did not have to add it. It doesn't need to be in the DLC. Yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, but the 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 one which doesn't have a name, right? That's the one where you have the uh, um, yeah, that has like threaten a strike from one side, change through, and zverch them in the head, um, which is basically the Orbo special zverkopter move. Um, so that's where it is. Or do a shuttle how? I assume that one is for if you're tall. Yeah, if they're if they're further away, you do the shuttle. If they're closer in, you do the zverch. Right. It's a relative height thing. <laughs> well, it also says the well, sturdy bell, which is not, I don't think, is really explained anywhere. Is this the first mention of Sturzhau? Depending on what you believe about the date of this book, I think it might be. Because Lignitzer oh. has it in the 14, but the first securely dated copy of Lignitzer is like the 1450s. 
would have to dig up Talhofer. Yeah, the Hoff. Okay, yeah, so it's in some of the Hoffs. Uh, but which ones, right? Is it in the first ones, or is it only in some of the later ones? Well, Longsword right itself. It's only in the late one. Unarmed Longsword. Yeah. So this might be the first dated reference to the Sturtel, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So we'll really know what it is, though. If you go with the Hema Sturtel, then that kind of makes sense, though. Yeah. It can what is the Hema Sturtel? The... It's like the people kinda... who've never understood it. It's like... Uh... That's the mute button, not the camera button. You like <laughs> It's like the reverse. It's if 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 you if you do a normal cat and then you turn one way to go to the like shield head, turn to the like other this. way. It's the other false edge, the other short yeah. edge. Yeah. You're cutting in, and you come like this. Um, for Alison's, he can't see Steve. He is. What did I say? He's cutting from his right shoulder, and he's inverting the sword as he does it. So that so move, the would be like cut. Change through, starts out. Yeah, potentially. Um, kind of just like stabbing an ox. Changing through and stabbing an ox on the other side. Basically, it's like, it's a it's the hooking short edge cut, as opposed to the shield, which is sort of the long short edge cut, um, is the, the normal way that people demo the starts out. Cool. You guys got anything else to add before we wrap this up? Uh, this section is amazing if you like to shout the names of your moves while you do uh... <laughs> Show them the power of your chi. Uh, which is a thing I do sometimes, and like these moves are super good for it. You've got so much, the names are so much better. Cool. Try charging at somebody while yelling Fovenzakel and like with sort of round and A plus. They'll be confused every time. Uh, Steve, have you got anything to add? No. I think I've said everything I have to say about this source. Amazing. This episode might be less than an hour. All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody. It's been Fencing by the Book. I've been your host, Mike Swarge, and joining us this week have been Stephen Cheney and TQ. Have a very Merry Christmas. 57 minutes.